neuropathy just means that actually your nerves are being, uh, if you think about it, your nerves are just being dramatic. Okay. Yeah. Neuropathos uh, or pathos, as some people might hear it. Uh, you have dramatic nerves. That's the diagnosis. It just describes a symptom. It doesn't actually describe an underlying cause. And that's one of the most frustrating thing to patients when they come in. They're like, well, the doc said I had a neuropathy. It's like, well, yeah, you do. But if you think about it, technically, they're like 150 to 200 different named types of neuropathies. Let's figure out which one it is for you. And then we can figure out what is the underlying cause. And we can, when we get to that, then we can actually help you. Right. So today I've got Dr. Nelson of Advocate Wellness. Uh, Dr. Nelson is a chiropractor in the Keller area. Um, and as you guys know, I typically do these uh, interview podcasts with other practitioners that uh, complement what we do here at R3 Physio. Uh, they're typically uh, practitioners that practice outside of the conventional uh, model uh, with whatever um, you know, field they're in. And so that's definitely something I saw with, uh, Dr. Nelson and we've had some conversations. And, uh, so I wanted to have him on here. We'll talk a little bit about what his, his approach to, uh, care is. I'm going to I'm going to put it like that because, um, because Dr. Nelson, you said one, one time when we were talking that chiropractic is just a tool that you use. It's one of the tools that you use. And so that really resonated with me. Um, cause you're not, you're not identifying, what you do just as chiropractic, although that is part of what you do. And so um, that that leads me to say, let's talk about more about what you do. So um, just give us a little bit of a um, introduction to to who you are, what your practice is about, maybe. Uh, and then Absolutely. We'll, um, uh, a little bit more about how you got where you are. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. First off, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored. Um, and uh, for those of you that are lucky enough to have uh, Jason here as, as your physician, like you're so, you're so lucky. I've learned so much from him just in the short time that we've gotten to get to know each other to be friends. So, uh, yeah, chiropractic is a tool that I use because I think the, the main, the main idea there is that when we're trying to impact a person's life, there are different ways to do it. And there are a lot of different remotes, if you will, that will change the channel. And one of the things that I found very early is that there were a lot of conflicting ideas about how one should go about changing the channel of health on the TV, which is the patient. And uh, I found that there were a lot of remotes that looked nothing like each other, but all of them changed the channel. I said, well, so long as they change the channel and they get people better, I'm on board with that. So that helped me really make peace with a lot of people who approach things differently or might, who I might have disagreements with on face. So, um, what really got me started is that chiropractic changed my life when I was 15. Before that, I had lived in pain at about six to eight out of 10 for several years. I'd fallen off a bunk bed. I'd fallen off of horses. I was digging fence posts. I was playing soccer and falling down and running. And, and I was raised out in the country. So I was doing all of that. And um, my mom finally dragged me to the chiropractor. And I'm so grateful she did. Thanks, mom. Uh, yeah. But she went me... Took me to go see Dr. Hollis Wilson down um, in Elgin, Texas, a little town outside of on the on the east side of Austin there. And some of you can probably relate to this, but that was the first time that I truly felt like the doctor saw me. You know, they'll always say the doctor will see you now. Hmm. But I never felt quite as seen as when Dr. Wilson sat down with me. And that was just an extraordinary experience. I felt so much relief after my first adjustment that I basically went home and slept for two days. I woke up somewhere in there for some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a gallon of water. That's what they tell me. I don't, I have no recollection of this. And then they had to wake me up on Saturday morning for my follow-up appointment. And I walk in, I sit down, I'm sleep drunk as I'll get out. And some dude comes in in a wheelchair and doc comes out now says, Hey, do you guys mind if like, we get him going first. My pain was down to like a two out of 10. So I'm like, yeah, no problems. Go ahead. About 15, 20 minutes later, the guy walks out pushing his wheelchair and I'm left clutching the handles on my seat, thinking to myself, what just happened? This is, this is biblical. The lame walk. And it <laughs> took 20 minutes. Like what is going on? Um, 
as I've gotten deeper into chiropractic, I've found that those results are not always typical. Sometimes it take a little bit longer, but the end result is typical of a really artfully applied healer. And I'm not going to limit that to chiropractic. But the clinic where Dr. Wilson was practicing was a remodeled house. So there was sunshine streaming in. There was a there was a roof light and it was a we we're sitting in the remodeled living room. So it was big and it was spacious and it was colorful and people were smiling and they were giving hugs. It was unlike any other practice I'd ever been in before. With the whitewashed walls and the and the 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 little sliding window that separates the clean, tidy, orderly people from the unwashed masses. Um and nobody wants to be made to feel like that. And so I just looked at it and I'd known since I was young that I was going to be a doctor. I just, I just knew I wasn't going to be a dentist. I hated dentists. Um, I had no desire to look over and, and lean uh, and look into people's open mouths for hours on end. I'm, I'm grateful that other people do. Um, I had had some bad experiences with a dentist to that point, hence my distaste for that. Um, but since I've softened on that a little bit, but I, and I really appreciate them. But I knew I wasn't going to be a dentist, but I didn't know beyond that. And then that day, I decided I was going to be a chiropractor. And I started changing everything, um, more science and everything else like that. 11 years later, I walked the stage um, after getting my undergraduate, getting married, having my first kid, and getting my doctorate and started into practice. That was Saturday, I started into practice Monday. Nice, nice. And so many, so many practitioners, that's their story, right? Like the reason they got where they got is because they mm -hmm. had an experience like that. So uh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a saying that all healers are broken healers. Mm. They've all been messed up. And in some way, the standard approach didn't quite cut it. So they go a step beyond just whatever. And you find them in all disciplines. Like you'll find cardiologists that are just really a cut above. It's like, well, what changed your life? And it's, you know, it might've been his, might've been his parents or something like that, but somebody like went the extra mile for sure with for that sure. kid or with his parents or something like that. And it's changed his life for the better. And then they could turn around. And they're like, I want to do this for other people. I want other people to feel like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to us more than about what, um, what, what treatment at advocate wellness is like, well, how do you differ from traditional chiropractic? Sure. Uh, well, it's a little cheeky, but there are some chiropractic clinics where you go there and they leave no bone unturned and hammer down the high ones. And that's effective actually for about 85, 90% of people, they'll get better. And that's a fantastic success rate. I mean, let's be honest, if, if back surgery had that kind of success rate, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be fantastic. Um, a lot of them don't, unfortunately. So, you know, an 85%, 90% success rate in, in a healthcare field, especially here in the U.S., is, is nothing to, to poo-poo at. Um, but I like to take it, again, to cut above. And so we really focus on people in their new patient experience and focus on making that connection, really finding out what matters to them. My goal is to help them understand clearly where they're at and what's actually the root cause of what's happening be that a musculoskeletal complaint, be that a metabolic complaint, and to be able to map a clear plan from where they find themselves today to what they've described to me is important that they wanna be able to do again in their life or that they just wanna get rid of if it's a bad thing. And then I say, okay, well, you told me you wanna be able to walk again, you wanna be able to you know, walk on a, on a grass field and not have to worry about your stability because your balance is so off because of the neuropathy. Okay, got it. Um, let's test it. Let's see how bad it is. And then we'll go from there. I start out with protocols that I've developed. And then we tweak them to fit the individual patient. Mm -hmm. You know this probably as well as anybody, Jason, that no two patients are the same. For sure. So they could get similar treatment. They could fall into a similar set of recommendations and so-and-so's recommendations could look like so-and-so's recommendations. But when it comes actually down to it in the individual moment, the delivery is custom because we're focusing on being present with that person. So if you come here and we decide that there is a, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but you could look, take a look at the issues that I treat as kind of 
two sets of issues. There's the more metabolic issues, and then there are more, what I would say, structural issues. Try and keep it fairly simple. So if you come in for metabolic issues, you're not seeing me as often. We There might be a structural element that's keeping blood flow from getting where it needs to go. We'll treat that. And then with the structural issues, you might be coming more often. You might be starting it twice a week. As you get better and better, you need to come less and less. For those, you're getting adjusted. You're getting myofascial therapy, which is a fancy way of saying uh, we're working on your muscles and the kind of like the envelope around them. And then we are working with red light therapy as well. Also gets called low level laser therapy. It's not like, you know, you know, Luke, I'm your father kind of laser. It's a little different. Um, none of my children are named Luke. So that works. Um, but it's, it just produces one specific frequency. So it's, I describe it to people again, more like the remote analogy, the remote to your TV changes the channel on the TV, but not on the DVD player. And we're very grateful for that. And that's, that's a frequency dependent response. So it turns out that your body can respond similarly to specific frequencies of light and you can get it to do specific things based on a specific frequency. And when you take a, a broad spectrum of light and you get it to only produce, you get the light bulbs to only produce one frequency that technically makes it a laser. So it's, I actually have this right here and we can play show and tell later if you want to, but it's just like a really bright red flashlight. Nice. Yeah. 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 And there's, I mean, people there's... are usually blown away with how well it, with how well it works. It'll usually drop pain, especially to like with fibromyalgia or something like that. It'll usually drop sensitivity to touch. Like I can just, just dimes weight, just finger pressure. I'll drop it in half in about 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the lasers have um, definitely become more popular over the years. Uh, you know, I tell people, you know, in my world, a lot of physical therapists, and, 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 and I'm similar to you in that, you know, what I do is not the conventional approach to physical therapy, whereas what you do is not just the conventional approach to chiropractic. And so, so I tell people, uh, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, like 85, 90% of people would get better if, if they just had some consistent treatment. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, 80% of people would get better if you just got them moving, but there's still, that oh, 20%. 100%. there's still that 20% yeah. needs help. And that's what I, that's why I do what I do, right. It's for those 20%. That's why you do what you do is for that 10 to 15% that didn't respond to that. Um, but those so are actually my favorite cases when they've had a terrible experience with another chiropractor Yes, and yeah. I get a chance to redeem that experience. If you will, I get a yeah. chance to explain to them, Hey, this was a good approach. It was just a little much for you. Here's where we're going to dial it down. This is how your body's going to respond. And lo and behold, it does. And they're like, oh, thank God. And then we get them to where they're better. And then they can actually go see that doc. And they do. And it works yeah. really well for them. Do you, do you feel like you ever have an uphill battle uh, when you tell people, you know, hey, I'm a, you know, they ask you, what do you do for a living? And you're like, I'm a chiropractor. And, and do you feel like you ever have to work uphill against what that, that perception is for sometimes, people? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. The, I feel like the public perception of chiropractic has definitely been elevated. Um, there's a lot of voices that we can thank for that. Um, there was a time when it was smeared mm. by certain uh, mainstream voices, shall we say, certain uh, traditional voices for sure. in, the, in the healthcare space. And uh, I'm sure PTs kind of got their, their fair share of that, especially when it comes to any sorts of manipulations or especially anything that has to do with holistic aspects where you treat the person as a whole and don't just operating these little like they call it like stove pipes where it's just like this pipe goes up and that pipe goes up neurology doesn't talk to rheumatology doesn't talk to endocrinology doesn't talk to psych doesn't talk to surgery and they're there all of these things are different and the patient is left to take this pile of papers from one doctor to the next to the next and it just grows and grows and grows and it's their job to brief their next doctor on their entire medical condition instead of the eggheads just putting just talking figuring it out, which would be really awesome if they did. So it's how healthcare should be, right? Like that should be healthcare. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, so you had mentioned uh, two main types of, or two, two general groups that you treat metabolic structural. Um, yes, sir. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. So structural is probably what most people think about when they, when they think I'm going to go see my chiropractor. Right? They do. So we're yeah. talking the, the joint, the adjustments, the joints, the, the soft tissues would fall in that. So 
if there's anything specific on that that you want to talk about of, of how you maybe differ, but I for sure want to get into the metabolic because that's not every chiropractor that's treating that. And, and in reality, the metabolic can lead to a lot of the structural stuff we see, a lot of the Absolutely. stuff we see. And so Absolutely. anything on the structural that you want to talk about? Otherwise, let's let's talk about what what is metabolic? What is a metabolic? Mm-hmm. Some of the common ones that you see. And then let's get mm-hmm. into what you do with that. Yeah, let's touch on the structural real quick, and then we'll we'll switch over to the uh, to the metabolic side of things. So the more like metabolism and, and the, the background healing processes in the body. So the structural issues come down to um, some structural neuropathy. So I've been focusing on neuropathy a lot recently. Um, and here it looks like I bumped the camera. Excuse me. Let's just make that nice and neat again. Hey, there we go. All right. Um, so like been focusing on neuropathy a lot recently, and you can break those down again into the, like the background healing processes aren't working like they're supposed to, or there's a structural issue. Some very familiar ones to people watching might be carpal tunnel. I would consider that as structural based neuropathy. Um, there's nerve neuropathy just means that actually your nerves are being, uh, if you think about it, your nerves are just being dramatic. Okay. Yeah. Neuropathos, uh, or pathos as some people might hear it. Uh, you have dramatic nerves. That's the diagnosis. It just describes a symptom. It doesn't actually describe an underlying cause. And that's one of the most frustrating thing to patients when they come in. They're like, well, the doc said I had a neuropathy. It's like, well, yeah, you do. But if you think about it, technically, there are like 150 to 200 different named types of neuropathies. Let's figure out which one it is for you. And then we can figure out what is the underlying cause. And we, when we get to that, then we can actually help you. Another very common one that people might be able to identify with is sciatica. And it's also one of those two are probably the most overdiagnosed physical neuropathies in the history of ever. Any kind of nerve pain in your low back, anything into your glutes, down your leg, doesn't matter the front, the back, the sides, if it spirals around or just like if it runs all the way down into your feet, like true sciatica does and down to the toes. Um, it, people refer to it as sciatica. That's just the term they're familiar with. I don't fault them for it. They're not clinicians. That's not their job. Um, so it's kind of funny. People come in, they're like, I have sciatica. And then every once in a while, someone actually has sciatica. I'm like, Hey, you nailed it. Uh, those are funny. Um, but in those cases, what I do is I like to take a look at the spine in terms of, um, the, the six different zones that are outlined in, um, uh, Dr. Fleet's work is about, it's been coming up on about a hundred years. So he came, he, he crystallized this theory in, I think the 1930s. Um, practice actually down in San Antonio, had a very, very successful chiropractic practice there. And the big idea was that there are six zones of healing, six sets of organ systems that work together. So there's an endocrine system. That's all the endocrine systems are generally under one zone. That's zone one. Two is detox and elimination. So anything that gets things out of your body. So you're looking at poop, you're looking at pee, you're also looking at your proper detox functions, your kidneys, your liver, you're looking at your gallbladder and stuff like that. Three is your nervous system regulating itself. Something's got to take care of the home team right there. Four is digestive. That's things you take in. Five is musculoskeletal. Six is cardiovascular. So, you know, with six, if there's an issue with moving things around in your body, so say lymphatics, I would be looking at zone six, but I would double check. There's actually spots you can check on the base of the skull where they will increase or decrease in intensity depending on which zone is in more trouble. And so it's very easy and very efficient to check and see what's the highest priority to the patient that day. And we actually use that to inform treatment, whether or not it's metabolic or whether or not it's a structural issue, because it provides such a fast and such an accurate input into what the patient is dealing with that day. We know the, the, the bigger set of issues, but who needs, who needs a little bump today? Who needs a little help? Who needs a little support? Um, so if someone comes in with like sciatic or something like that, we'll provide the stretches, uh, maybe some massage gun work to help the muscles release, the muscles attached to the joints, which house the nerves, which tighten the muscles, which connect to the joints, which, and so it makes this a little bit of a spiral. A lot of people think of it as a down spiral. I just like to think of it as a spiral. Well, if you can ride it down, you can ride it up too. And so if you interrupt that cycle at all three phases, bone, muscle, and nerve adjustment, laser, and myofascial therapy, you can turn that down spiral into an up spiral real quick. So 
I found that to be tremendously effective and, and helps people a lot. So those visits will usually take 20 to 30 minutes. People will start it twice a week. As they get better and better, they need to come less and less often. It's, you can probably speak to this. Healing seems to be more a game of momentum than just pure effort. The faster the, the ball is rolling downhill, the more effort it takes just to stop it. And then once sure. you get it moving in the right direction, it takes fewer and fewer touches, fewer bumps. It seems like everything's suddenly getting easier and better, so much easier as you go. It's like, yeah, it's, you've, you've got momentum on your side. You've got Big Mo working for you now. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So that covered that covered structural for the most part, but you kind of touched on some. Yeah, I think like, so. what, are, what are some of the um, what are some of the more common metabolic issues that you see? Mm -hmm. And neuropathy is one that you have mentioned, mm -hmm. but we can talk kind of more about yes. the, the forms of it. But what are some of the other metabolic conditions that you tend to treat? Sure. Um, so. I'm, I'm going to come back to neuropathy and then we're going to talk about the root causes, if that's okay, because there are so many um, yeah. and they break out. And then again, that's, that's the main focus is we could talk about symptoms, but you and I care about, well, what's the actual underlying problem that the patient's dealing with? Because when you remove the underlying problem, then the symptoms go away. As opposed to if you suppress the symptoms and you just pour a little, you sprinkle a little bit of water on a coal fire, that thing's still bloody hot underneath. It's like, those things are still alive. There's no flames but you better not walk on it. That's, That's the fair. difference between our approach and the mainstream medical approach, if you would. So with the metabolic thing, there's really kind of three types of, I would say rank the top three causes of neuropathies. The most common one by far is uh, type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome. Um, so high blood pressure, inflamed blood, high blood sugar, all of these different things. The next one that comes with it and can actually, uh, they can be, they can combine because the patient's entitled to as many problems as they damn well please is a statin or a chemo or a different kind of medication induced uh, neuropathy. Cause you can get nerves to get dramatic and cause symptoms that they're not supposed to be signaling to the brain a number of different ways. You can stretch a nerve, you can compress a nerve, or you can irritate it. In structural issues like carpal tunnel, you'll see a compression of the nerve. Or in sciatica, you'll see like more akin to an inflammation and a compression of the nerve, a little bit of a combo. Um, but in, in metabolic neuropathies, it's almost always an irritation, sometimes a stretch, and sometimes a little bit of compression, but I find a lot of irritation. And so when we decrease the inflammation in the body and we really support the detoxifying capabilities of the body and we get people moving, like you're talking about, hey, if, you, if we just got people moving, that'd be awesome. The problem with neuropathy is that it shows up a lot of times in the feet and it causes excruciating pain, eights, nines, 10 out of 10s, to where you have a pain-induced inhibition to where the brain says we are feeling too much pain we are not doing jack diddly shit today we're going to feel fatigued and we're not going to want to get on our feet and if you try we will try and stop you because that hurts too badly and then people become sessile they live on their couches and life expectancy plummets if you're just sitting on your couch your your blood doesn't move your lymphatics don't move then you become susceptible to respiratory and all sorts of opportunistic infections, yeast infections of, of you know, uh, you have like sores that can develop because you're sitting, it, it gets bad fast. Um, and one of my main motivations for helping people with neuropathy is that my grandfather had chemo induced neuropathy when he was battling pancreatic cancer, uh, which he passed away, I think about seven years ago. And growing up, I always loved going for walks with him and my grandma and to not be able to do that again. And to know that, you know, even when I wasn't there, it wasn't an option. Like it just wasn't on the table. He wasn't feeling strong enough and his feet hurt too badly for him to be able to just get up and really just move around the house even. And so by the time it got that bad, yeah, there wasn't a lot of time left on his clock at that point. And so I want to give people the chance to go on walks with their grandchildren again. That's kind of like when, when that happens, I mean, we, we fix all sorts of other neuropathies and there's, there's, um, there's a third 
um, third kind we'll get into in a little bit, but if I could just give someone the chance to be able to go on some more walks with their grandkids, man, that does it for me. I, I love that. I love that. So let me touch on the third, the third cause. And that would be, um, typically an autoimmune disease. So something like rheumatoid arthritis is probably the most common. Now, if you look at the listings on Google, they'll separate out chemo from statins because they don't lump those together as medications. They don't want you to think of the side effects of chemo as um, a medical side effect. It's an outside treatment that they put into you. So to my mind, it's the same thing. It's an outside in approach versus an inside out. So autoimmunity would probably be my list. My third, it usually shows up fourth on those lists, but that's, that's why I lump statins and chemo together. Gotcha. Okay. So we got diabetes top one mm -hmm. and chemo and statins are medication induced. Yeah. And then autoimmunity. you can run into, you can run into vitamin deficiencies as well, but they usually go hand in hand with, uh, medications. Um, uh, omeprazole is a big one. So people don't usually realize that antacids decrease your stomach acid, which means that the acid doesn't activate something called intrinsic factor, which means that you can't absorb B12. So you can take all the B12 if you want, but if you're also taking antacids, you're not getting it into your system. And without B12, you'll develop neuropathy real quick. Those are the easiest ones to fix. Cause you're yeah. like, Hey, get on a different way of managing your stomach acid. And then all of a sudden they can absorb B12 again here, take a liquid B12 under your tongue. So you can just like pull it across your plasma membranes right there. And all of a sudden, like I helped a guy, a dear friend of mine with his, with his mom, she had horrible neuropathy somewhere between a CBD cream topically applied to her feet and B12 under her tongue. Her pain went from an eight out of 10 to a two out of 10 and she was up and walking. Nice. We started to like fix the stomach issue, but like she had quality of life that fast. It was fantastic. Nice. Nice. So, so we kind of, you're, you're kind of getting into root causes here, right? Like we're, we're yeah. talking root causes of neuropathy. Um, I, I'm horrible at small talk. Sorry. I, I like to get to the meat of the oh, matter. You're good. You're good. You're good. I, I don't like the small talk either, but um, the nature of this kind of a podcast, right? I've got to, got to move this in different directions. But, sure. Um, so, so root cause of top reason of neuropathy, diabetes. But then the deeper question is, is mm -hmm. what's the cause of the diabetes, right? And then Absolutely. How do we that? same thing with the, the medication induced, the chemo, what's the root cause of the cancer? And that's a big, hairy topic that we may not even have time to get into, but um, yeah, that's then, a fun one. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you, I think you can boil it down to something that, that we can mention on, on live air and not get into too much hot water about, I think it boils down to a lack of brain body connection. Okay. It's a lack of awareness. So one of the things that you find is um, if you've ever like slept on your arm funny and you wake up or like you've hit your funny bone and like your hands tingling mm -hmm. and it kind of feels, especially if it feels like heavy, if you've ever like sat on your hand or you sat on your leg and you get up and you try and move your leg and it just like won't move, your brain has temporarily lost connection with that mm -hmm. limb. In that moment, it is not taking direction. It is not providing you with sensation. So you can't move it, you can't feel it, and you can't heal it. Those are the three major functions of a nerve. You can find them if you look at the cross-section of a nerve. You have your healing section, that's your autonomics. That's your background automatic processes. You have your sensory or your sensing, your feeling part, and then you have your moving part, and that's called motor. Anything that you do that you will to, to make happen is considered motor from a neurological perspective. But to keep it simple, healing, feeling, and moving. So in that moment, like if you've sat on your leg funny and uh, you sat down with your wallet in your pocket, right? You've lost that connection and your brain and, and your consciousness doesn't actually inhabit that part of your body. And as such, it can't detect the problems. And because it can't accurately detect the problems, it can't actually fix the problems. So if you've lost connection with your body, no amount of drugs like no amount of drugs can actually provide a detailed response on an intracellular level, on a very, very minute level on what needs to happen. They just don't have the adaptability. Drugs don't have the adaptability that your nerves do to be able to say, secrete a little bit of this, take up a little bit more you know, calcium over here, drop up a little bit of chloride over there. And we now know that there's actually nutrients that go down the axon of the nerve 
to the end target uh, that nourish both the nerve and the target organ. So there's actually a nerve flow. And that's the original way it was described in that uh, shoot about 100 years ago in physiology. And at first it was like, well, I can't possibly be. And now we found that that is very much more supported than other theories. So I would say that it really boils down to a disordered brain-body connection. If you get yeah. down to cancer, it's like, well, we can't accurately detect the problem. We can't properly signal the cell to undergo the process of apoptosis, which is the program cell death. We've lost control of this little unit. It's like a diesel engine when it gets some gas fumes near it and it just starts running faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon, pretty soon it's going to put, you know, um, a cylinder, going to put a cylinder through the top. Mm. It's going to be a mess. Um, so, you know, thankfully there are a lot of reasons to suggest that you can actually get a hold of some of those processes. Um, and you can stop that through natural means and chemo might not be your only option. So that's, there's a lot of reason for hope there. I'm going to speak very conservatively there. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for hope there. Um, but when it comes to neuropathy, we want to get your body to re-inhabit that area. And since the nerves run the blood flow and the blood supplies the tissues, including the nerves, there's a little bit of a cyclical problem, especially with neuropathy. So we have to get enough blood flow there so we can actually nourish the nerves and create the environment in which your body heals. A lot of people don't know that only 40% of your DNA is active. Maybe that. if that, yeah. So it's something called epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know that, know that you can, you can affect how your body looks through lifestyle. Now we've seen both positive and negative examples. You've seen someone who's gone from fit on top of it and some tragedy happens. They stop shaving. They stop taking care of themselves. They stop washing and, and maybe they get evicted. Like, you know, people go through rough times and then you see them maybe a year later and they've been eating at Seven Eleven. And they look like hell. Mm -hmm. And maybe that same person goes through their grief and whatever process. And, and then, you know, thank God the grieving process doesn't always have to look like that, but they get done with that. And then they start pulling their lives together and they start eating better and they start drinking cleaner water and they start getting sunshine. They start getting fresh air and they start moving and they start loving themselves instead of hating themselves. And they start doing all of these really, really important things. And they set clear boundaries and they stop talking to the people who are taxing them as much. And they start talking to the people who are pouring into their lives more. I don't think you ever have to like completely cut it off, except in cases of like clear cut abuse, but it's a balancing thing, right? You turn one up, you turn the other down and they pull themselves together. And you see this person, this body, the body of this person, let me speak accurately here, morph shrink down and stop carrying all the extra toxicity and load and a lot of water, a lot of water retention. And so they're, they're inflamed, they're thirsty, they're not breathing for crap, which means their cortisol's through their roof, their adrenaline is way high. They end up in a hypersympathetic state. If you look at the breakdown of the nervous system, they say there's a sympathetic state and there's a parasympathetic state. In the sympathetic state, you're supposed to be ready for fight or flight, freeze or fawn, or you can hear it as um, fight, flight, um, freeze and appease. I like the four Fs better. So I stay with fawning, like kind of just like, oh yeah, just give him whatever he wants. That worked well in, um, in the twenties and thirties in Europe. Yeah, doesn't work. Um, and then in the parasympathetic, it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be a good thing where it's like rest, um, resting, uh, digesting and congesting. So there's the whole like part of you have to be relaxed enough to actually get turned on to be able to have good intimacy and stuff like that. Um, but what I look at it as is sympathetics is external attention. Parasympathetics is internal attention. And that makes a lot more sense when you take a look at neurodivergence. Now, that's a whole different conversation. But I think you can go hyper parasympathetic. We can be so internally focused that you stop perceiving things around you. And you, you, have, you have too little, uh, from a technical perspective, what's called arousal. You're not, you're not paying attention. You're not excited enough by the things around you to raise your adrenaline levels, to raise your dopamine levels, to where you actually pay attention to what the hell's going on around you. Now, you can pay attention to things around you to the exclusion of everything happening inside your body. You find that very commonly in caretakers, actually. Because their idea, they're like, hey, I'm hurting a little bit, but so-and-so's got it really hard. You find this with um, nurses, especially. 
their idea of who needs care starts at their nose and goes outward. So I have to remind those people is like, hey, I need you to not be a donut where you're inside the little hole and you don't get care. I need you to be a Danish. Like everybody in the circle gets care. So like you too, okay? Just, just include yourself in the list of people who needs care. And then that resets their boundaries. And then they usually have an easier time taking care of themselves instead of just looking from the end of their nose outward. Um, but if you get in a hyper sympathetic state, you only care about the things outside of you and your brain only has so much bandwidth. It only has so much attention. It can dish and it stops focusing on inside. And you actually uninhabit your own body if you're out of balance for too long. Short term, it can be very protective. If you're going through a dangerous situation, if you really need to be laser dialed in, you're driving down the road, it's late at night, it's raining, it's storming. Um, yeah, please, by all means, pay attention to the road. But when you're trying, that's not a good way to live long term. And it leads to a disconnection of brain and body. Yeah, I I like that um, that way of looking at it, that that mind body brain body disconnect. Um, mm -hmm. I thought about, I mean, like we talk all the time about the mind body connection. We talk about yeah. self awareness and how that can having a lack mm -hmm. of self awareness can lead to issues. But I think you just connected that really well and explained that really well. And it, because in reality, like it's not all isolated. This is all integrated in and one thing is going to affect them you mean it's all connected no <laughs> right uh so that's I, why we call it a body it's it's one body think about it decapitation dissociation death all all the forms of dissociating consciousness from the body are bad you can yeah. do it by taking the head off you can do it by blacking out you can do it by um you know inducing a coma or something like that rarely is that helpful but you know it, they're, they're just almost all generally bad yeah. Your consciousness leaving your body is not a good thing. Yeah. No. And if, it, if your body stays in that state for too long, it will start to deteriorate. What happens with the house if you let the toddlers run around and nobody's picking up? How long do you expect that house to stay in good order? Minutes? I think the same is true of the body. Yeah. No, that's that's good. And so I don't know if we can infer from everything you said like all these connections how you mm -hmm. go about treating that is there is there anything specific about your treatment style with neuropathy like i mm -hmm. i'm assuming from what you said you're addressing things like the nutrition aspect you're addressing the yes. mind body connection. you're addressing the mm -hmm. there's the structural components you're addressing that is there any yes. other aspects of working with you for neuropathy that, mm -hmm. that you want to uh, bring up yeah, I think the main thing that I would say is that this treatment works. Yeah. For a lot of people, they've been through hell. They've taken gabapentin. They've taken metformin. Um, mm -hmm. Metformin makes the root cause of diabetes, the insulin resistance worse because it takes the blood sugar and it cramps it into cells that have said, no more, please. We've taken down all the insulin receptors. So they become resistant to the insulin and it crams the sugar in them anyway. You put too much sugar in a cell, it gets hard and diseased. And then your blood pressure spikes and then you end up on blood pressure meds and it's bad news. Um, but with gabapentin, it's an anti-seizure medication. Using it for pain is actually an off-label use because it induces a state of, I'm going to speak boldly here, something akin to a medical Alzheimer's. So you care about your pain and everything else as a result, less. Mm. I had a patient in here that says, I don't want to take my gabapentin because I call them my coma pills. She was at the max dose. She was still in pain and the doctor was recommending more. She says, if I do that, I'm going to be a drooling mess on the couch. I will have no life. I'd rather take the pain and have a life. Two treatments later, because she didn't have a super complicated neuropathy, she was feeling 80% better. It was a structural problem. So we handled that. And voila. So it yeah. works. That's the exciting thing. And I know you offer things that work tremendously, but the, the way I came about the protocol, I think I mentioned this a little earlier, is I actually, I, I'm a huge fan of engineering and stuff like that. My dad's an acoustical engineer, so he deals with sound and all sorts of crazy complex physics problems. And I think I got the love for like sound and vibration healing and stuff like that from him. So if you take like sound healing and then you apply it to light healing, it's the physics are almost exactly the same. So the jump from sound to light for me was very natural. 
And hence why I ended up working with lasers. The, but one of the things he always went on about was first principles. So you see this with like Tesla and SpaceX and where they've been able to achieve things that other people have just been stymied by for a while. They're like, okay, well, forget how other people do it because they're not getting it done. What are we actually trying to solve for? And so I took a look at it and I said, okay, if I wanted to give the average diabetic person, I wanted to give them neuropathy, how would I do it? What systems have to fail in order for someone to express neuropathy as fast as possible? I came down to four things. I would need to restrict blood flow drastically. I would need to inflame the body pretty tremendously. I would need to reduce stimulation to the nerves because it's use it or lose it. And then I would need to um, probably withdraw some nutrients. If I pulled all of the B12 out of your system, I inflamed the crap out of your nerves, I cut off the blood flow, and I made you sit still, <laughs> yeah, you'd have neuropathy in about a week, tops. It would, it would be bad, right? So I was like, all right, so let's just provide all of those things. Back to the topic about only 40% of your DNA is active and your environment determines which 40%. Why leave that environment to chance? Why not supply everything the body needs and make sure that you're in the healing environment and then your nerves can regrow? Any neurologist where the salt will tell you, yes, the nerves can regrow if the proper environment is there. And I say, what do you mean if? What do you mean if? That's ridiculous. You know the conditions of an appropriate healing environment in which the nerves will regrow. Ensure it. And that's what I do. So we provide people with supplements that provide magnesium. The vast majority of the U.S. is magnesium deficient. We provide digestive enzymes because it goes beyond just your food. Not only will you have more availability of food, you will have more ease of digestion, which takes up a tremendous amount of your metabolism. By the way, it's a lot of energy, energy that could be used for healing. But then when the enzymes have broken down all of your food, they actually leave your digestive tract and they go out and they start remodeling the joints. And they start pulling stuff out of muscle. I've seen a turnaround. Um, it was about a six-fold increase in digestive enzymes. Turnaround calcific tendonitis in about six weeks. Nice. I just pulled it out. It cleaned it up. It went out and cleaned house. It's like extra vacuum cleaners. They just start running around on their own. It's fantastic. They start cleaning up after the toddlers who've been running amok for way too long. So stuff yeah. like that. We'll provide the nutrients. We use um, red light therapy to ensure the blood flow. We use electrotherapy, which is just like, it's like a foot bath and you put a lead in each side, the water doesn't touch. Um, and then basically it ends up providing almost like a vibration sensation and it makes the muscles quiver back and forth. So you get microcirculation as well. You retrain the muscles and you get a whole bunch of stimulation to the nerves. That stimulation falls under something called proprioception, which is location in space and time. And that runs up bigger, faster nerve fibers than any sort of pain receptors you get. So you get the circulation, you get the stimulation of the nerves, you get the retraining of the muscles, and you get pain inhibition. It's pretty fantastic. And then the last part is making sure that they're up and moving and 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 they have the nutrients. I'm blanking on something. Anyway, we help them re-inhabit their body by, by doing those major, those major four things. Um, Unfortunately, the things that insurance covers are the exact things that get people to my front door. Metformin, gabapentin, surgeries, amputations. Uh, if you're diabetic, you have a 50% shot of having neuropathy. If you have neuropathy, you have about a last, the most recent literature I read said, if you have neuropathy, you have about a two to 3% chance of having an amputation. So that's one in 30 to one in 50. Uh, for most people, that's a pretty small chance. They'll probably roll the dice on it. But as the neuropathy becomes more severe and as the healing slows down, your odds of having an amputation go up. And so for the price of amputating somewhere between amputating a toe and amputating a foot, I can get people their feet back. They get to keep all their toes and all their parts. Um, and they get to, we can restore sensation by about 70% total. So if you're down at 30%, you'll get it all back. If you drop down to 20%, we can get you back to 90 maybe a hundred if you're like really working hard, but 
at 90% total function, you can expect to basically have no symptoms long-term. Like you're, you're doing pretty good. The body's got a null zone there to where you can lose a good amount of function before you have pain. So that's the really exciting part is that, you know, it might take three to six months for a diabetic case for them to get the vast majority of their sensation back, but there's something that they can do and they can treat themselves at home, which means they get better like three times faster. I'm open four days a week, but your home's open seven days and you can treat yourself twice a day. That's 14 treatments. Yeah. 12, if you take a day off, if you take Sundays off and you do a day of rest, right? But I just tell people, hey, do it every day. Just stay in the habit. But now it returns an internal locus of control. Fancy term means there's something you can do about your condition to improve your life today. And I think that's the most exciting thing that I've seen you do. I've seen other amazing practitioners do. Something that I've strived to do for my patients every day is give them control of their life again. Yeah. And it's yeah. so exciting. And I know I'm just going on right now but like i'm so i'm so passionate about what i do it's exciting it shows right and and i think that's if i'm listening to this and i'm somebody that has neuropathy that's what i want to know is what is it that you do that's different than if i go anywhere else and i think you just hit on all that so i appreciate that um do you have do you have any specific cases like that come to mind like one one or two of your favorite cases um sure yeah yeah, um, Eddie, Eddie's one of the ones that comes to mind. You can find his, um, by the way, if, if you want to follow me, it's Advocate Wellness TX on all the platforms. Uh, the reason why I mentioned that right now is because uh, we've documented a couple of stories so that people can have hope. It's one thing for me to spout theory and, and you know, clinical protocols and stuff like that. It's a different thing to actually have someone sit in front of the camera and say, hey, this changed my life. In Eddie's case, he had open sores on the bottoms of his feet for, I think, about two years that wouldn't close. He was basically bleeding into his socks through his band-aids at work. He couldn't walk more than about 50 yards, so 150 feet. And that went on for quite a while. And he started working with us. And over the course of about three months, the sores on the bottom of his feet healed. They started closing. And then about three months later, uh, we were having a little progress consult. And, and there were many more between, but he told me, he said, doc, Hey, check this out. I walked a mile and a half. Nice. And he'd already lost a toe. So I couldn't get that back for him, but it was really exciting because he didn't have to lose any others and his feet were actually healing again. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and that was just so tremendous because he'd gone from just looking down the barrel of a long, slow decline and not a damn thing he could do about it to where he's like, I can do something about it. I got to do this once a day. And if I want to get better, I'll do it twice a day. Do I feel like getting better faster today? I'll do it twice today. So he did. Yeah. Um, the other one is, is probably one of my all-time favorites, probably will be. Um, Delbert came to see me, I think, starting about July of last year and still has one of the most severe cases of neuropathy I've ever seen. Um, his total percentage sensation leftover was in the, in the teens, maybe. It was like low single digits to like teens, depending on the foot. And... He went from dragging a foot, not being able to feel his feet, being incredibly unsteady. He would try and turn a corner and his body would fall over. To, it would just keep going. He couldn't stop himself and turn a corner to where after about a month or two, he was walking and he was picking up his feet. It was a little too high for a normal gait, but he was picking up his feet and he could feel, and he just had to touch the wall to be able to get on and he could turn. And then about three months ago, I got news from them that he went out and he walked on the turf. And instead of having to watch the kids soccer game from the parking lot out of the side, seat of the car, he walked to the side of the field on the grass, plopped himself down in a chair and got to watch his grandkids soccer game from the sidelines no drugs, no surgery, no lost toes. Nice. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. No, that's, and something you said in there, you, you talked about, he was looking at a low, long, slow decline. It reminded me of something. Yes. Patient I had, long-term patient um, in his eighties now, but you know, he, he would come to me and he goes, you know, I, I kind of view, view seeing you like this, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die at some point and it can either be a slow decline and I can lose my quality of life or I could just drop off the cliff. 
He goes, I want to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I can appreciate yeah. that. It's know. that it's that idea of going out with your boots on. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be fit and happy and able. You don't want to know it's coming. You go out, you strap on your boots, you go out to do your work just like every other day. And for whatever reason, that's your day. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And and you go home to the Lord. Yeah. Well, I want to respect your time. So um you Thanks, mentioned sir. You mentioned uh, people can follow you at um, Advocate Wellness TX on all the That's platforms. Correct. Um, yeah, we're um, particularly active on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, we got some fun shorts coming out over there. Um, so definitely stay tuned for that. Go ahead and give us a like and a follow if you don't mind. Uh, and then also we're on, you can find us on LinkedIn. Um, and then you can find us um, not as active on TikTok, especially with what's coming to light over there. Um, and then we've, we've got a couple other platforms where you could find us, but Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, that's where you can find us the most. Okay, perfect. And we'll we'll link to that in the uh, show notes as well. And then um, website, keller-cairo.com. Keller-cairo.com. So we'll have that in the show notes as well. Um, Dr. Nelson, anything else do you want to share with people or or what would you leave uh, the audience with today? Mm, I would leave you with this fact. Uh, There was a horrible study. I'm a sucker for dark humor. It's like food. Not everybody gets it. Um, There was a horrible study that they did where they drowned rats for time in order to be able to quantify the effects of two things, hope and community. And when they drowned the rats without any kind of hope, without light at the end of the proverbial tunnel and without another rat on top of the lid, they drowned in two minutes. They just gave up. A lot of people don't know, but rats are actually excellent swimmers. When they had just a peephole of light coming through the lid of this bucket. They swam for 20 minutes. And when they had a friend on top of the bucket, again, no chance of getting out. They're going to die for sure. They swam for 80 minutes. So I would leave you with this is that if you are watching this and you don't have a community and you haven't found a direct path to get from where you are to where you want to be, you need to find that as soon as possible. You can find it at amazing clinicians office like Jason's, or you can come see me. We'd be more than happy to get you. I know that his approach is the same as mine, where it's like, hey, if we're not the right person for you, we will give you our best recommendation to get you the best person we know for you to be seeing. And we know a lot of people, we know a whole crap ton about the body and stuff like that. Let us guide you and get you the person who can give you that roadmap, because then you'll have hope. And then you'll find what the actual diagnosis is, and you can talk with people like you. You'll be able to put a name to it, and now you'll have community, and that gives you a 40 times multiplier and how far you're going to be willing to go, what you're going to be able to put out, what your nervous system is going to be able to handle, the setbacks you're going to be able to take in stride, and you're going to be able to heal. That's it. 40X, baby. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing to leave everybody with. Uh, Dr. Nelson, thank you for your time. I appreciate you taking this time to uh, to really share your passion about about treatment, especially all the neuropathy talk. So I think it's going to uh, enlighten a lot of people. So I appreciate you. I really hope so. I hope this has been valuable for your group. And thank you again so much for having me.